Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. So I went on an adventure on the interwebs, like you do, and I ran across a picture of Al Gore and his girlfriend. I know it doesn't matter for this podcast, but anyway, what it got me thinking about was his reinventing the government documents, right? Like, remember when he was vice president and Bill Clinton put him in charge of reinventing the government, which I think, well, then what were you doing at the time? But that's neither here nor there. And then it led me down, of course, because that's the internet, it led me down a rabbit hole to find out that, did you know that before 1978, vice presidents didn't exist? <laughs> there just weren't any. Because until then, we didn't care about their records. Like we had a pub, we didn't have a public law until 1978 where we were, where we kept public records of the vice presidents. So before okay. Al Gore, no vice presidents. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that your criteria for claiming that there were no vice presidents before 1978 was that we just didn't seem to be interested in any kind of documentation that they did anything important. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. I just wanted to be clear because I, I was about oh, to say. Oh, I see. You could misread that as they didn't exist at all didn't exist at all and that's not true they didn't they did exist but nobody cared very few people did yes <laughs> very few people did okay that doesn't seem very nice i mean that's a long time into our history before we started caring about the vice president don't you think that's a little uh, yes. weird yes yeah and um in a lot of and i get asked by students this all the time Nia. okay you know so what do vice presidents do? And I usually chuckle before I, I answer. They are the they are the Prince Harry of our government. They are there in case the heir dies or becomes yes. incapacitated. I mean, Prince Harry's a perfectly nice guy, but the only reason they had him was to make sure there was a backup for William. Yes. Okay. I mean, and 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 for most of our country's history, they were basically you know treated as a backup, right? You know, I mean, we you could use sports metaphors, right? You know, um, you know, uh, you and I are uh, uh, both fans of, of of plays, okay? You know, you know they they are the stand-in, okay? <laughs> you know, um, you know for a play, um, and hopefully you never have to see the stand-in. Um, you know, when you throw down your couple hundred dollars to go see a play, but you know. Every once in a while, the lead actor or actress gets sick, okay, and you might see the stand-in, right? Um, you know, you know, you throw down, you know, serious coin to see a professional basketball game, and you're hoping to see LeBron James, and instead, you know, if he's sick, you see the backup, but you hope not to see the backup. Right, because if you see the backup, something else has gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the only person, the only time you know about that person theoretically 
I mean, for the most part, at least historically, is because something has gone tragically terribly wrong with with the president, right? That's okay, correct. wait. So first of all, so for anybody wondering what documents we're we're uh, tying things to, there's not very many out of the vice presidential office. There are, as I said, a bunch of stuff from Al Gore. And since then, other vice presidents have published things. There are, um, but the Senate has a marvelous history online and in print of the vice presidents, the history of the vice presidents. It goes through all of them. And that's because, (laughs) not because they were vice president. What I found out with vice presidents is nobody cares they were vice president. It's because in the Senate, they also are the president of the Senate. Yes. So like when you find a vice president's papers at a university, it's because they were either a senator or a representative or a governor. Like they were something else. It wasn't because vice president so-and-so, and and it's because of that that we've put their papers somewhere which makes me a little sad. But those are the documents that we're kind of basing on today uh, is sort of the history, that that archive and history from the Senate. Um, And then we're going to take off from there because I have many, many, many questions for Augie. Because my first question... Wait a minute, before we get to that, for our listeners, our thought process when we... um, concluded that we should do an episode about the vice president. Um, Kind of sort of arose uh, because uh, uh, this fall, um, or uh, the fall of uh, 2021, uh, various press accounts uh, came out um, that talked about the role of the current vice president, Kamala Harris. Right. Um, In many of these press accounts, Um, talked about how um, her approval in public opinion polls were lower than her boss, President uh, Joe Biden, um, which, um, you know, led me and I to go ahead and say, well, why? How unusual is that? Yeah, well, yeah, how unusual is that? And, you know, why would they even ask a question about the office of vice president, because as Nia just mentioned, typically we don't have discussions about vice presidents unless something bad happened to the president, right? Okay. And, and, and it led us to start thinking about the office right? and how it evolved, um, what formal roles uh, the office of vice president has, um, and, and how, to a certain extent, more recent vice presidents, Nia, you mentioned uh, uh, Al Gore, but more recent vice presidents have had more active roles in particular presidential administrations. Yes. But that's unusual. Yes. That's and extremely that's- unusual. And that's really visible in the documents, because before Al Gore, you really don't get documents out of the vice president's office. But after Al Gore, Dick Cheney had some, um, Joe Biden had a bunch when he was vice president. Um, I didn't find a whole lot with Mike Pence, but it may be that they haven't been like finished going through the process of publication yet. Yeah, because it takes a while. Yeah, because as you and I discussed, um, the United States Government Archives Office 
um, by law um, uh, has a number of years to process catalog and in some cases uh, make uh, determinations about what documents should be classified or can be declassified and when they can be declassified. Right. Um, so it may be a few years before uh, uh, Vice President Mike Pence documents get released um, for the public. But nevertheless, yeah, there are a few out there, but not not nearly the volume of some of the others. Yeah. And but it made me think about where are Dan Quayle's documents? Where are Spiro Agnew's documents? And the answer is, uh, like some of them yes. are they've been given as collections because they've been given to their uh, educational institutions. Some have been given to their state governments. Um, Walter Mondale's are with the uh, the Library of Minnesota. Minnesota, yes. Minnesota. Uh, yeah, it is Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, he was a, so, a long-term <coughs> senator from Minnesota. Yeah. Right. So he, so like they have his documents because he's important to their state, and for having done these other things, right? Which I think is fascinating, because, um, but, but it, which leads me to my first question for you about the. Um, about the office of the vice president. So originally, vice presidents were just the person who got the second number of votes, right? Correct. It wasn't tied to party. That is so correct. In fact, it was usually the opposite party. Yeah, because what, right? what you, okay, so uh, the first vice president was uh, John Adams, okay? Um, and he was of the same political party as George Washington. They were both Federalists. Ah. Um, but Well, that worked out the, nicely. Well, that did work out nicely. But where this became an issue was after Washington uh, retired after two terms, both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson ran for the office of president. And the way the Electoral College was initially set up, the person who uh, achieved the most electoral college votes became president, but the person, uh, the candidate with the second most, was vice president. Now, Ooh, can I ask a, a gossip question about that? Yeah. Did Washington endorse either one of them? Uh, he did endorse John Adams, um, which was somewhat controversial because Thomas Jefferson had been Washington's Secretary of State. Ah, okay. So how so, do you pick who to endorse? Yeah. Um, okay. So you had this awkward situation of for Adams one term as president, his vice president was a member, was the leader of the opposition party. And, and then Adams ran for reelection in um, uh, 1800. And Jefferson ran against him. <laughs> oh, and wasn't that particularly hard fought and unpleasant? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and again, I, I use that particular presidential election um, in my introduction to U.S. government class by telling students, if you thought 2016, <laughs> 2020 okay, was, was hard, We're rough, fought, <laughs> rough, nasty, it pales in comparison, right? I mean, 
Um, John Adams' uh, sexuality was called into question. Uh, the Adams campaign um, uh, 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 engaged in uh, uh, rumor, the rumor mill by saying Thomas Jefferson um, um, had fathered um, out of wedlock uh, children with one of his slaves, which, as we've come to find out since, was, was true, was historically accurate. But at, you know, but it kind of sort of begs the question: What's that got to do with somebody's ability to be right. president? Right. Right. But I mean, so. So, but wait. Where this so, really, where did this really Adam be- was Adams Jefferson's vice president? Um, uh, no, because what happened was in that election, the top two vote getters were Jefferson and Aaron Burr. Um, and Aaron Burr was a member of the same political party as Jefferson. Okay. And because neither candidate received a majority of the electoral college votes, that election actually was decided in the House of Representatives. And the House picked Jefferson. But Congress did take note, okay, of how because of political parties, perhaps there needed to be a change. And that's in part led to the 12th Amendment. Okay, because with the 12th Amendment, electoral college voters now pick between candidates for the office of president and candidates for the office of vice president. So theoretically, the electoral college could still engage in (laughs) split ticket voting, okay? But again, I would, I would pay all of Elon Musk's money to see that happen. Okay. But as you and I have discussed in a previous podcast episode about the Electoral College, the Electoral College basically follows, if you will, the will of not only the voters in each state, but also the will of the, of the, of the political parties. Yeah. Okay? And the parties don't want a mixed ticket because drama. But okay. So... So the, there, there they are writing the Constitution like you do in a hot yes. summer Philadelphia, yes. and and they and they sat around. And they said, "What what would the vice president do?" I mean, you can't just write in there, "Vice president hyphen waits for president to die in order die. to take office." <laughs> like that, nobody's going to take the job if that's all there is to it. So. Okay, so basically you can narrow down the official duties of the vice president to the following, okay? Um, They succeed to the office of president upon the death or resignation of a president. By the way, that doesn't get clarified until the 25th Amendment. (laughs) So in the beginning... There was no, I mean, like for the first several years, then it would have been that if the president had died, they'd have gone, huh, I guess we have to have an election. Well, in, in, in we actually had situations where you had vice presidents assume the office of president when the president died, but members of Congress insisted upon calling them the interim president. <laughs> okay. But no, that makes sense if you don't have a rule. We think of now as a common sense, but if you didn't have a rule, 
then they would sort of be the interim president. So, huh. um, which, you know, led some vice presidents, I mean, you know, Teddy Roosevelt in particular was just like, uh, no, I'm not the interim president. I am the president, right? So, I mean, it would, it would ruffle the delicate sensibilities <laughs> of some of the, you know, former vice presidents who became president because they were like, well, I, you know, they say I'm the interim, but, you know, there isn't going to be another election for another two or three years. Right. So I'm kind of sort of in charge here. I'm right? it. Okay. So that's one constitutional duty. You also mentioned uh, a second constitutional duty, which is they are the president of the Senate. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Well, they basically don't get to vote in the Senate unless there's what? A tie. A tie. Okay. Um, and they don't get to speak unless... Um, uh, who uh, uh, the Senate Majority Leader or the President Pro Temp of the Senate officially acknowledges the Vice President. Otherwise, they can't even speak. Yeah, but who's gonna who's gonna not let the Vice President speak? Well, but interestingly enough, Vice Presidents have hardly ever spoken on the floor of the Senate. Oh, okay. Okay. The other constitutional duty or responsibility they have is, and we actually saw this in January of this, of 2021. Oh, yes. Bless his heart. Mike Pence had to count the votes, ratify, right? Yeah, catify, count and ratify the votes of the Electoral College members for the preceding presidential election. Those Which are is the, a, by the way, a ceremonial thing. It's not a thing that if you don't do it, it didn't happen. No. It, it, that, it, that was it, never going to be the case. Uh, no, I, it, it, it was somebody, somebody has to go ahead and do it. Right. Okay. So you might as so well let's, have the, let's have the vice president do it because he's not yeah. doing anything else. Now, the fourth, if you will, constitutional duty basically now revolves around the 25th Amendment. Okay. Because the 25th Amendment, again, listeners, we have an entire podcast episode about the 25th Amendment, okay, which was passed in the 1960s after JFK gets assassinated and LBJ takes the oath of office from a federal district court judge in an airplane that's flying, flying from Dallas, Texas to Washington, D.C., yeah. Congress kind of sort of had an oh crap moment, right? Which we is, should probably fix that. We should we have a plan if this happens again. Yeah, if this happens again. So the 25th Amendment makes it very clear, okay, that if the president is incapacitated, not just dies, but incapacitated for any reason, then the president should submit documentation saying that the vice president is temporarily becoming the president. And we saw this, for instance, um, as recently as uh, a month ago from uh, uh, when we're recording this podcast episode, because President Biden 
underwent a medical procedure and for a couple hours, Vice President Kamala Harris was the first president. female president of the United, of the United States. States. <laughs> okay. And whatever else may be said about her in history, she's hey. two firsts. She's the first African American vice president. Yes. And she's the first female president of the United States, the first female African-American president of the United States, and if only for if a I couple was, of hours. But if he had not survived his colonoscopy, which, by the way, would have been very strange because people don't a, generally die during colonoscopies. So if your doctor has asked you to get one, we would encourage that you do that. People don't generally die during them. But if he had, for some reason, had a complication, she would have been president of the United States because there's a... Right. There's a piece of paper that they sign over that says you can have this until I feel better. And then you got to give it back because otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's basically a, a standard. <laughs> well, it's basically a standard form that has been um, uh, written uh, by the uh, 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 White House Legal Counsel's Office. Please I mean, tell because, me it's in triplicate. <laughs> well, of course it is, because, <laughs> OK, <laughs> not only does. <laughs> Not only does the cabinet get uh, get a copy, uh, the White House uh, chief of staff gets a copy, ah. and then the Senate Majority Leader gets a copy, and the Speaker of the House gets a copy. So actually, it's not triplicate; it's quadruplicate. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. But that, okay. but, but it's it's basically because until Kennedy, we didn't really have a plan for what would happen if the head of office died in office. Like well, the it, plan it, it, was it, you take over until something else happens, but this is a much more formal. It's much more formal. And as we saw in the Nixon administration, first Nixon's vice president, Spiro, Spiro Agnew, had to resign because he got indicted for um, uh, tax evasion and receiving bribes. Okay. So to fill his term, Nixon appointed, and this again is covered by the 25th Amendment, Representative Gerald Ford, okay, representative from Michigan as vice president. Okay, well then Nixon resigns after he wins a second term because of Watergate and because of the 25th Amendment, guess who got to become president? Gerald, Gerald Ford, who had never run on a presidential ticket. He's one of those weird asterisks in history. He's the only person, okay, who was vice president and president who ran, who did not successfully run for either position. Now, he ran for re-election in 1976, but he lost to Jimmy Carter, okay? And interestingly enough, many presidential and vice presidential scholars point to Walter Mondale as kind of sort of breaking the mold of vice presidents doing very little because Walter Mondale explicitly extracted from candidate Jimmy Carter that if he agreed to be Carter's vice presidential running mate, that if Carter won, Walter Mondale wanted an active role in the Carter White House. Okay. And Carter agreed. Carter agreed. Well, 
I'm going to just throw out here. So in your notes, you talk about the, the first vice president that wanted to sit in on cabinet meetings was Coolidge, right? Coolidge? Uh, yeah. Uh, president, um, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Warren Hardy was president and his vice president was Kelvin Coolidge. And uh, Harding wanted him, wanted Coolidge to be an active member of his administration, which was a good thing because um, in Harding's third year in office, he suffered a heart attack and died. And Coolidge took over as president. And Coolidge said, without my experience participating in the Harding's a cabinet administration, I wouldn't have been able to do this job. Yeah, and see, when I saw that in your notes, my my first thought was, so the first 130 years of having vice presidents, we didn't actually train them to be president. No. Like we didn't, we didn't do anything that would, if they had to suddenly take that job over, which by the way, as a side note, the only reason they would ascend to the presidency would be through disaster of some kind, either death or resignation. Nation, yes. So uh, like, that's not a job you want to train on the job. So uh, I mean, it in, makes in, sense in, to in, me that with vice presidents, you would want them to at least be sitting in on the cabinet meetings, to at least be following what's happening in world events and where the United States is on those things and policy and that sort of stuff. Because otherwise, that guy comes in and his learning curve is unbelievable. It's off the charts. And yeah, it's me learning Swahili in a day, which, by the way, kids, is not going to happen. Like, it's and, just... And what's really unfortunate, Nia, is the Harding, if you will, precedent, okay, having Vice President Kelvin Coolidge sit in, did not immediately become the norm. Yeah, that annoys but, me because it was a really good idea. It was a good idea, but then we get into the 1930s and, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gets elected president four times, okay? And he basically used the selection of his vice presidential, vice presidential running mate as a kind of sort of patronage position, right? He basically uh, would, he would basically say to the leadership of the Democratic Party, who do you guys want to reward for faithful service? Sure, I will have them run because FDR, after he won his first election in 1932, okay, was he was basically the star, right? Right. He did. He didn't need somebody on his candidate ticket to bolster his chances of getting reelected, right? If he had been in better health, do you think he would have continued to be reelected over and I, over? Uh, no, I think he would have stepped down after the conclusion of World War II. Ah, okay. okay. But speaking of World War II. He didn't tell Harry Truman, his vice president, his vice president about the Manhattan Project. Correct. I mean, I know it was a secret, but it should not have been a secret from the vice president. That is correct. I don't, I don't think. Oh, I, hey, I, your position 
is very similar to most political scientists, and for that matter, uh, most foreign policy experts, okay? They're all like, and, and by the way, by law now, not only do presidents get daily intelligence briefings, but vice presidents get them. Oh, That's good. actually required by law, okay? Because this is one of the things that became apparent when Truman was made president when FDR died, right? Okay. I mean, Truman, you know, Truman acknowledged after he um, uh, served two terms as president, um, was it two terms? Yeah, two terms, okay, as president, you know, Truman acknowledged, okay, I was wholly unaware of what was going on uh, with not only the development of the atomic bomb, but any of the negotiations FDR was having with um, the other allied oh, nations. Stalin and okay, about Churchill and all those guys. If the allies win the war, what were the plans post-war? How are we going to carve up Europe in the Middle East? Okay, yeah, well, pretty much, right? Um, which led to the criticism that, you know, Truman was not as strong with, in particular, um, Soviet Premier, uh, Premier uh, Joseph Stalin as FDR had been. And of course, in Truman's defense, Truman was just like, I didn't know what had or had not been said. <laughs> I never met the guy. Come on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that's interesting. I'm going to see if I can add an intelligence briefing to our, uh, to the documents. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that'll be an interesting thing to see. So, um, but you have in here what I think is one of the most funny slash awesome quotes from Eisenhower. Oh, yes. I love it. It's such a slam and it, I shouldn't love it. Part of the reason I love it is because I am so not a Richard Nixon fan. I know okay. Richard Nixon did some good things during his presidency. I'm willing to concede that, but I'm not a fan of the, of him as an individual, but some reporter asked, can you think of a major contribution that Nixon has made to your administration? And Eisenhower replied. None that I can think of. What, what, what was no. the exact quote? Well, if you give me a week, I might be able to think of one. <laughs> yes. What a I... slam. Yes. I mean, and what a terrible way to not support your your vice president. Like that, see, part of me wonders if some of this comes from this idea of jealousy, this idea of I want to be the banana and you just get to be the peel. Like you're not, you're not here to draw any attention whatsoever. It's part of what, what I've been thinking a lot about with, with um, Kamala Harris and, and President Biden is, is attention, how much attention like, I think that Kennedy probably had some real jealousy with the well, attention that Johnson got. Well, and in particular, when John Kennedy ran for president and won the Democratic Party pro, um, uh, uh, nomination, okay, um, he was comparatively very young, right. uh, a, a, a relatively untested U.S. senator. And the Democratic Party elites were like, 
you're going to be running against Richard Nixon. Okay. Okay. Nixon, who was vice president, you know, for two Eisenhower terms. Right. Before that had been a member of Congress. Okay. Huge name recognition. And this guy campaigns dirty. Okay. (laughs) Right. I mean, he, he, you know, he got his nickname as, you know, Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick Nixon, not because of Watergate. That was his nickname because as a member of the House of Representatives, he was part of the House Un-American Committee that went after communists. Right. right. I was going to say, didn't he work with Joe McCarthy? And Okay. So, you know, so the Democratic Party elites basically forced Kennedy to take LBJ on as his VP, right? Because they said Johnson, okay, is tough, no BS. And oh yeah, by the way, he's a Southern Democrat. And we're gonna need Southern Democrats to win this presidential election. And I'm not trying to cast dispersions, but Johnson also fought dirty sometimes. Oh, sure. Like bringing him in against Nixon was a brilliant thing to do because the Kennedy machine wasn't, wasn't, I don't think, ready for that fight. And the Kennedy machine was well-established in Massachusetts. Right, up north. In the northeast. But, I mean, LBJ was the Senate majority leader, right? Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, LBJ had a reputation as the Senate majority leader of basically getting what he wanted by any means possible. So that would allow Kennedy to look presidential because who was doing the negative dirty work of the campaign? Right, LBJ. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, So, and Johnson never let Kennedy forget that the reason why, one of the reasons why he was president was because he was his vice president, okay, uh, on the ticket. Well, and one of the reasons that a lot of things happened for him in Congress was because Johnson made them happen. Like, But Kennedy becomes president and then basically shuts Johnson out, okay? Well, because he and Bobby, brothers, they were tight, they... Yeah, okay, Um, so, and again, you want to talk about a knowledge deficit. You know, JFK gets assassinated and LBJ to a large extent was not part of the planning for the Bay of Pigs um, invasion of Cuba, which was a huge fiasco, um, was hardly ever in the room during the Cuban Missile Crisis, okay? Yeah. um, was hardly ever consulted in regards to um, um, uh, forcing the South to desegregate. Yeah, okay. the the huge amount of both uh, domestic and foreign, I mean, Cold War issues that he was not a part of really handicapped him in his first year as president where he's trying to, and and he, even though he said he was trying to maintain Kennedy's Camelot sort of how do you do that when you don't know 
all the relationships that have been built. And it didn't help that he and Bobby Kennedy hated each other, hated each other. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very, I mean, the very breath each other drew, right? Like they just yeah, I were mean, not. I mean, and in, 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 in when LBJ won the 64 election, he cleaned house. I mean, he got rid of, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the Kennedy administration holdovers. Um, and there was no question that Bobby Kennedy was, was going to be, um, would resign as right. attorney general. Because as you pointed out, Nia, Bobby Kennedy thought Lyndon Baines Johnson was the worst kind of Southern Democrat. Okay. Um, and again, you know, for our listeners. Well, and he thought he was crass. He thought he was. Yeah. And, 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 a redneck. You know, I mean, he, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, yeah. I mean, and, he, and again, Kennedy was from the North, you know, from the Northeast, right? right? Um, and for listeners, again, understand how much the political parties in the United States have changed because Southern Democrats, okay, well into the 1960s, okay, um, were typically, you know, in most instances, segregationist, okay, a very traditionalistic, okay, um, um, they were, you know, old boys, right? I mean, right. Southern, Dem- Southern Democrats in the United States Congress, you know, frequently served for 25, 30, 40 years, right? And Bobby Strong Kennedy, Thurman died in office. Yeah, and, and, and he started out, by the way, folks, as a Southern Democrat. Right. Now, <laughs> but then, that's a whole different episode and a whole yeah, different right, but back to the vice with... president, right? So, you know, Eisenhower's comment about Nixon in part portrayed personal animus that Eisenhower had with Nixon, because Eisenhower was much more moderate a Republican than Nixon, okay? And by the way, Nixon was on Eisenhower's uh, ticket in 1952, in part because the Republican Party establishment thought that Eisenhower needed okay, a well-known staunch Republican to bolster his support among the Republican Party base. Yeah, and even though it kills me to say this, even though it was funny, the other thing that it reflects is how little the vice president gets to do. Like if somebody says, what has your vice president done for you lately? The president's answer up until then was nothing, right? Because they just didn't, Aside from Coolidge, they didn't, they didn't, they did not get invited to meetings. They did not get into, what is it that the Jack Nance Garner, the, the, um, the vice, the vice president for the first two terms of FDR said, what did he say that the, that it was worth the vice presidency was worth? I've seen the quote two different ways, a warm bucket of spit or a warm bucket of piss. Either way, <laughs> either way, okay, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. Okay, right. right. Okay, um, and he so disliked it that he actually challenged FDR for the Republican or for the Democratic Party nomination. Okay, in 1940. Okay, um, because he was just like, I hated it, and I hated his politics. Okay, and Roosevelt didn't like me, and I didn't like him. Okay. Yeah, and and just as a side note with that, just even if you do like your vice president, 
right? There's only so much power, as we noted earlier, constitutionally, there's only so much power that the president has, I mean, the vice president has. So, but, but when you, when you don't agree, that also gets complicated, right? You have oh. the whole Al Gore, um, he didn't really like the way that Bill Clinton brought Hillary Clinton into a huge number of decisions. I, 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 I know that, um, that that caused tension between them and it caused tension later when Al Gore ran for president because he also didn't like the whole scandal, the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and he wanted to stay, he wanted Clinton to stay out of his, like, don't help me run, but it actually hurt him in the end to do that, probably. I mean, that's uh, what some historians... Yeah, uh, yeah, according to some scholars, um, Al Gore um, was so, uh, had so much distaste for how the Clinton administration responded to the Kenneth Starr Independent Counsel Report, okay, that when Al Gore ran for president in 2000, he explicitly asked Bill Clinton um, to um, not cam campaign for him, particularly in the South. Right. Um, and Al Gore just got drubbed um, in the South in 2000, okay? Yeah, because uh, because if he had picked up one state, one Florida would state, not have mattered. Florida would not have mattered. OK, uh, because Al Gore basically cleaned up in the Northeast, the Rust Belt, uh, California. OK, all he had to do was just pick up either his home state of Tennessee um, or former President Clinton's home state of Arkansas. And he would have won. Yeah, he would have won. OK, well. And um, but I mean, that, those kinds of disagreements, okay, are not all that unusual because, again, you know, listeners, if you think about presidents, and this is not necessarily a criticism of presidents, but presidents get judged, okay, based on what their administration did, okay? So why are you going to share the spotlight Right. With a person who possibly wants your job, okay? Well, and who's waiting for you to die? Yes. Um, I mean, that's a little vultury, right? Standing <laughs> behind me, like, ah, oh, please don't cast a shadow on me today. <laughs> but also, the other thing is, uh, vice presidents are often chosen, at least modernly, uh, to fill some sort of gap, perceived gap that the that the presidential candidate has. Kennedy yes. with the South, um, right? Uh, uh, Carter with experience, right? Mondale yes. had been around forever, right? So you have all these, these, um, uh, Reagan was- uh, Bush 41. Uh, was Bush uh, so 41, foreign, so he foreign, brought- Foreign policy experience. Right, he okay, brought because Reagan, of that. Yeah, okay, because Reagan was um, uh, a governor of California. And then you know, Bush chose Quayle because Quayle was young and Bush yes. was old, right? Yes. So he brought a younger vibe to it. Um, so you get these, like they're chosen for very um, political Strate reasons, strength. Strate 
strategic right. electoral reasons, right? Right. And so it's okay. not surprising that these two people often don't agree. They are often previously competitors until one of them drops out of the race for president. Yes. And then the other person says, hey, why don't you be on my ticket? A la the current president and vice president, right? Biden and Kamala Harris. She was on, she ran briefly yes. until she realized yes. she was not making she was not building enough of a war chest because money is how politics run. Well, even in 2008, I mean, if you think about, for instance, Barack Obama picking Joe Biden. He picks older, experienced, but also knowledgeable of the Congress. What a lot of people forget was it wasn't just Barack Obama against Hillary Clinton for the Democratic Party nomination. At one point, Joe Biden. Right. Okay was part of that mix. He, you know, he was an announced candidate. But <laughs> yes, he where he up. infamously said he's very well spoken. Yes. Wow. Easy there, Cheetah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what was I, I love Joe Biden's gaffes. Yeah, right. I mean, because when <clears throat> he's unfiltered, okay. Oh man. Okay. He sounds like an angry grandpa sometimes. You're like, okay, yeah, right. maybe you should just relax and not talk in front of cameras. Well, I mean, but even but anyway. think about Bush 43. Okay, one of the criticisms of, of uh, the second Bush when he was running uh, for president was, you know, what have you done other than to been governor of Texas, okay, and the governor of Texas doesn't have as much power as governors of other states. Right. So what have you really done? Well, he wins the party nomination and then shocks everybody by picking one of the most seasoned, experienced Republicans, Dick Cheney. Right. And says, if I'm inexperienced, that's not going to be a problem because in my White House, I have a guy who has worked in the federal government as far back as the Nixon and Ford administrations. Right. I think it was Ford. It was Ford, right? Almost all of Bush's life, Cheney had worked in government. Yes. So okay. he so he had enormous experience. Same yes. with with Barack Obama choosing Biden, which is why it's a bit mysterious why Biden chose Kamala Harris, unless you want to look at that in terms of race and the well, I mean, motivating the, the Democratic immediacy Party base. of that. It was motivating, according to, again, most election, if you will, scholars, it wasn't surprising that Biden picked Harris because. The criticism of Biden within the uh, the Democratic Party was he was, you know, the Clinton era. Right. How do you motivate the Democratic Party base in the second, or excuse me, the third decade of the 21st century? Right. Well, you go ahead and pick a young woman of color, okay? who made it very clear when she was, you know, in the primaries and in the caucuses, she was critical of Biden, right? Right. So, right. I mean, 
you know, you bring her onto the ticket to make sure the Democratic Party base gets out the vote. Because if you knew anything about the 2020 Republican Party base, Trump was going to have them motivated. Right. Okay. So and, how do you how do you make sure you offset that? And in the ideal world, she would have been one of those, what is it that Lincoln had a cabinet of rivals? Like she would have been somebody who reminded him of the things that he doesn't have experience in. He doesn't have experience being female. He doesn't have experience being a person of color in this country, right? Like, and remind him of those things with policy. And I think part of, I think that may have been the ideal going in, but I'm not entirely certain that's what's happened. And I don't know if that is in part pandemic related, right? There's been bigger, bigger things to worry about, or if, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I would love to be a fly on the wall and it'll be interesting in four or five years when people start writing their books um, for us to hear about conversations that were happening in the White House at this time. But, but, but before we go, I do want to ask you about something else. Okay. Is it true that the vice president didn't have any place to live? That is correct. <laughs> yes. Okay. That seems like an oversight of the founder. Like, we're going to have a vice president, but we're not going to give him a place to live. Because, okay, wait, we long established that the White House would be part working office, part residence. And that's what they call it. They call it the residence. And that's a different part of the White House than the White House where the White House staff works. They don't work in, in yeah, the, the whole office is the office complex, the office part, okay, of the White right. House. Okay. And then you have the residence. But until the 1970s, 70s, vice president, 1970s, 1970s, not 1870s, 19, 1970s, okay. <laughs> um, uh, excuse and, me, and, where, in would fact, I, where would you like me to specifically, specifically, it was 1974. Uh, Congress designated um, the U.S. Naval Observatory. Uh, for any of you who are from Northern Virginia or D.C., that's in the northwest part of Washington, D.C., okay? Um, that is now the official residence of the vice president. Uh, the first vice president to live there was Walter Mondale, okay? So, um, sorry, there's a house on the grounds, right? The yes. Naval Observatory is not part of the president, vice presidential that's correct. Office, but there's a yes. house. On the, they were like, oh, we found this house you could move into if you well, want. You, but, but remember, Nia, we've like, talked what, about this. The US, the U.S. federal government is the biggest landlord in the United States. Well, yeah. Okay. It owns the most property and the most office buildings. I, I, I've seen some scholarships say in the entire world. Okay. I'm not surprised by that. Okay. I would imagine so, that unless it's a monarchy where they own the entire country yes okay that you really couldn't rival that so it's got to be of of anything that's a non-monarchy we've got to be the biggest but the and again this reflects how little right exactly i want you to come to washington find a place to live right like we're talking about i'm not talking about like way back in the day with people whose names you don't remember because they're all those 1800s presidents that you don't remember. So of course you don't remember their vice presidents, right? Yes. Like I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about Johnson. I'm talking about Nixon. I'm talking about 
right? I'm talking about Agnew and Ford and until you get to Mondale. Yes. That's in my, those are, by the way, people who are more or less in my lifetime. Johnson's not, but, but the but others. And I mean, by the way, Nia, they didn't do it because they were necessarily of like- a, Like a they new, cared? <laughs> a, a newfound appreciation. They did it because providing security for vice presidents and their families in their personal residences was getting too expensive. Oh, okay. So they said, so their thought process was We'll save like, some money <laughs> by sticking them over here in this building. <laughs> Which we already provide security for. I see. <laughs> I mean, it was a money-saving effort. This, this was a cost-effective wow. cost way to go ahead and provide security. I mean, I, it wasn't about, oh, well, hey, you know, the office of vice president's like really important. Yeah, and we that Walter our... Mondale, he's, he's really awesome and we should give him a house. Oh, no. <laughs> no, sir, we're getting really tired of driving out to Maryland to your house. So we'd like for you to just move here <laughs> to the Naval <laughs> Observatory. I mean, when I found that in my recent, because I've often wondered, and I, and I, I was aware it wasn't until the 1970s uh, that the Naval Observatory um, uh, is where vice presidents uh, officially live. But I, I, I was I wanted to know why all of a sudden there was the change. And <laughs> it was because of the increasing cost of providing security for vice presidents and their families in their private private residences. I was just like, oh my good, goodness. If, they, if you want an, you know, an official demonstration of how little we think about the office of, of vice president. That's it. That's it. But it took us 200 years to getting around to giving them a place to live. <laughs> you may be waiting for something disastrous to happen, but you're going to need to do that on your own dime somewhere in the yeah, yeah, right. In okay. the northern Virginia hinterlands or whatever. Like, I'm sure that there was some sort of, um, and we can look into this for the next episode. Sorry, folks, this is a two, I should have mentioned at the beginning, this is a two-parter because we have a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, cool, weird things about the vice president's office that you should know. So we're going to be back in the next episode to, to talk about those. But because, um, right, some quit and some didn't have like there's been all kinds of interesting things with vice yeah, president. Yeah, there's been there's some really strange stuff that's gone on in the office of vice president. Yeah. Right. So okay. So we're ending here on the house thing, but what I want to we we maybe could delve a little bit more into this next time about um, the vice presidential budgets for doing the for redoing the homes because they have one. They get. Yes. They get some money, but it's not like the money for the White House. And you're not no. supposed to make these huge, humongous changes. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see what, how the different vice presidential wives put their stamp on, on what is now the home. But that's only been in the last, you know, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't count. But <laughs> sorry, is it 50 years? No, it's not quite 50 years. Uh, uh, 40 well, years. It's 40 years. Yeah, it's about 35 years, 35 or 40 years. Yeah. So, I mean, can we come back and talk about the more fun, sort of quirky? 
Oh yeah, because the, 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 there's some just like really interesting stuff that's gone on with the position, um, uh, which again is even more fascinating to me because officially and, and in terms of practice, the office of vice president hasn't been considered all that important. Has, has no real job. <laughs> Can't talk in front of the Senate unless they ask you to. Don't vote unless you need to. <laughs> yes. I mean, basically, you stand around and confirm re-elections or confirm yes. elections. And honestly, you probably do a whole lot of praying that the president doesn't die. Yes. Because you're not prepared for the job. Yeah. Um, and Although, I don't know. We can talk about next time about the hubris of vice presidents, too, because some of them oh, yeah. have had amazing levels of hubris. And some of them have been real um, jerks. Yeah, like they've said and done things that you think, that, really? And they yeah, kept you and, as vice president? And, and we'll even talk about uh, the infamous vice presidential jinx. How... Ooh how so very few of them have actually gone on to become president. Yeah, I have a theory Ooh. about that, which we will talk about next time. All right. Well, thank Sounds you, Augie. This has been fun. Yes, I've enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and we will see, well, no, we will be around for you listeners for next time. Thank you. You, you will get to hear us again to talk about part two, the yep. office of vice president. Yes. <laughs> I say that, you know, in my best serious voice. Uh, yeah, part two. I like, uh, no, you should do it like, what is his name? In part one, they've discovered the vice presidency. In part two, the vice president fights back. Like what? I can't remember what or, his name or, or Pardo, Don Pardo. Yeah, is Don Pardo. Or, or how about the announcer for the monster truck race advertisements? <laughs> Where you have to yell into the micro, you know, you have a microphone, you don't have to scream. Turns yeah. out, but they do anyway. Uh, or or, or, the, or the announcers at uh, boxing matches, right? Yeah, they get very excitable. <laughs> yeah. Or or yeah. soccer, um, or what the rest of the world calls football. Football, right? yes. When they do the goal and they see how long they can yell goal. <laughs> yeah. like, oh. And it just goes on forever and ever and ever. And you're like, dude, that guy's got some serious lungs. And in this corner, we have Vice President <laughs> Kamala Harris. Harris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, well, we're looking forward to that. Thanks. All Andy. right. All right. Thank you, Nina. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.